welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and we have Dr. Hanscom in the studio with us today. Welcome. Hi, Tom. Thanks for uh, putting this show on today. Um, We're talking about a topic today which is remarkably powerful and interesting and sobering and been very humbling for me personally, but about the role of pain in the family. It's been a very interesting evolution of the process over the last couple of years. And you uh, uh, you had mentioned uh, earlier that you, know, you wanted to discuss a particular area of the whole family dynamic uh, and families that have a chronic pain suffer that uh, in particular leads to a form of social isolation within the family. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about that today. Well, what we found out the last couple of years is that humans are social creatures because from an evolutionary standpoint, the species of Homo sapiens that could cooperate had a higher chance of surviving. So humans are tribal. They're, they have language. Actually, language, at least according to this book, sapiens started with gossip and people talking about each other. And so language is really critical. Social connection is very critical. We also find out that if somebody is socially isolated, that they develop the exact same symptoms as chronic pain. So social connection is a big deal. The problem is when you're in chronic pain, you're desperate. Really, it's a very miserable way to live. I've mentioned this several times that the impact of chronic pain on a person's life is similar to terminal cancer. That's been documented in a research paper. So your life caves in on you. Instead of being a source of peace, love, and joy in the family, you end up talking about your pain a lot, discussing medical care, you're in an endless quest for solutions. And I've gotten to asking patients carefully, well, how much of your conscious time do you spend either thinking about your pain, talking about it, trying to find a solution? And it's offered upwards of 50%, sometimes even 80%. So for the family, it's really challenging to be around some chronic pain because their life is completely consumed by it. So whether you're the mother, father, either or both, your child's life or your spouse's or partner's life is really encased in pain. So it really takes a terrible toll. And so everybody's trapped. The patient's trapped, but also the whole family's trapped. And one of the things we've learned is that we can do all sorts of medical interventions, and you've heard me talk about the writing exercises, relaxations, forgiveness, but families trigger each other. In other words, a trigger means you have an automatic survival response of being either anxious or angry. When you're anxious or angry, you're being triggered. <clears throat> and when you're triggering, being triggered, you're just not in a great situation as far as interacting with other people. So everybody's trapped. And so <clears throat> one of the pieces of advice, which we'll talk about on another podcast, is say, look, as my patient, when you walk out the store, you'll never discuss your pain ever again the rest of your life with anybody, especially your family. And people's eyes open wide up and they go, really? And I go, yeah, because if if you think in terms of neuroplasticity, your brain's going to develop wherever you place its attention. And if your attention's on the pain, that part of your brain develops tremendously. But the other thing I tell them is that with your family, whether it's your children or your partner or spouse, 
that she will only listen, no advice at all. And, of course, parents think that we have wisdom and want to get impart advice to our family. We also tend to be critical and judgmental of other people's behaviors and actions. And it's really all just based on triggers because when you're judgmental, you're simply projecting your view on the world onto that person or situation. So it's really, and then who gives you the right actually to be critical of somebody else? Really nothing, because each person has their own perspective of life that's valid. And then for some reason, we think we can give advice to our family on a regular basis, but it's not a great way to develop a family atmosphere that's pleasant and enjoyable. So it's actually a huge problem, but it's magnified dramatically in the presence of chronic pain. And uh, do you find that most patients, after a certain amount of time, are able to do that or are willing to do that? Uh, like well, not talking they're, about they're willing to. Well, not talking about their pain is a big step. And then the idea of not giving advice and just listening is it's hard. It's hard for me. I am it's a learned skill. And it really honestly is a skill. But you have to remember that when you are being judgmental, you're not I mean, none of us like unasked for advice, right? And then we also know when right. somebody's criticized, they never respond. Yeah, we keep doing this. And then with our children which has become very disconcerting to me. Many chronic pain patients are angry, but they literally take it out on their kids. So <clears throat> I have two grandchildren now. One's 21, so one is 20 months, and one is six months, I'm sorry, six weeks old. And there's these beautiful babies, and I watch parents with their babies, and there's these, there's these beautiful creatures. And I'm looking at them and thinking, well, guess what? When they're 10, 12, 16 years old, all of a sudden these beautiful creatures become things that you're yelling at, arguing with, all sorts of stuff. And it makes no sense. And really the metaphor that I'm trying to hold out there to myself and other people is that people thrive <clears throat> when they feel nurtured and they feel safe. That's how people thrive, always. And so I asked them questions. I said, do you like your family? And they go, of course, I love my family. And I go, why would you ever give me advice? Why would you be critical of it? Why would you ever get angry at them? And then I asked them to visualize themselves walking through the door at 5 o'clock, they've had a rough day at work, bosses yelled at them, or maybe they've had a rough day with their claims examiner for workers' comp. They walk through the door, and what do they think their family sees? And so if the family's there, everybody's eyes open up a bit because some days you're in a good mood, some days you're in a bad mood. And it's even worse when it's unpredictable because you really want your family to see you in a good mood. In other words, why would you want your family to see you being angry and upset because they don't feel safe and would you yell at a stranger or talk to a stranger the way you talk to your family? Because remember, you don't live with a stranger. You live with your family. They get to see you who you are and do you really want them to see you being angry and irrational? And then how do you think they feel? So what happens is that, you know, I, I have this conversation all the time. The results are very consistent but I asked this one gentleman, really big guy, high-level professional, about, you know, is he angry? And he goes, no. Anyway, long story short, after about five minutes, it came out, yeah, I, I do get angry. I said, well, how many times a day do you end up snapping at your family? And I thought he was going to refer to his spouse, and he said maybe five to ten times a day, which is a lot. And I said, well, who's the target? And he goes, my son. And I go, really? I go, well, how old is he? And he goes, he's ten. And I go, really? And so then 
I'm finding out this happens a lot. And the last person that should be the target of your anger would be your 10-year-old son or your kid even who's 16 or 18 years old. They don't need that. That's not how you thrive in life and learn how to live your life. And people interact with play, negotiating boundaries, discussing things. But when you're angry, you're, you're irrational, and people around you become targets, and it's not back and forth normal interaction. So I just called them out and said, look, stop. I mean, this, whoever you take your anger out on, it can't be your child, can't be your spouse. And I said, if you really are upset about anything, don't come in the house. You know, have a, you know, stop at a coffee shop, relax, read a paper. But whatever you do, you can't disguise anger. You can't suppress it. And so what you want to do is create a metaphor of an oak tree where you and your partner are the trunk and you have, obviously, the branches are the shade and the protection from the elements a bit. And you want to be that pillar of strength that your kids can feel comfortable around and feel safe. Because if your child feels safe, then that allows them to go into the world and actually negotiate their own boundaries. If you're a child, you're trapped, so you have no capacity to escape, you're completely dependent on your parents, and the amount of anxiety and frustration engendered in these kids is horrendous. So it it plays out in the schoolyard, it plays out in their relationships, we all know about the study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences called the ACE scores. And they did a major study out of San Diego in the Kaiser system on 17,000 patients. And they took scores like mental health issues in the family, drug abuse in the family, parent in prison, physical, mental, sexual abuse, etc. And they found out if the ACE score, the potential score is 8, if the ACE score was 3 or higher, the instance of suicide, depression, eating disorders, et cetera, went way through the roof. And it's called Adverse Childhood Experiences ACE Scores, which has become a very big term these days. But what was sobering is only 30% of kids had an ACE score of zero. 36% had an ACE score of three or more. And the first thing that jumps out at us is that Americans in general are not doing a great job of parenting, and it's simply magnifying the presence of chronic pain. So backing up the conversation is that the key aspect of any relationship is awareness. And again, I'm not trying to lecture here because I've I've been through my own own issues. I lost a marriage because of my own anger issues, which I was not connected to. And the key issue with any situation, with any relationship, whether it's at work or at home, is awareness, being aware of what your impact is on other people, but also listening. So if you walk in the door of your house, you're anxious, you're frustrated, you're upset, you're not going to listen to your kids. You're going to try, but you're really not there. And it took me quite a while to figure out that I could be home, but I was so obsessed with, you know, charge and phone calls and politics at work, et cetera, that I wasn't necessarily taking it out of my family verbally, but I wasn't there. And there was one point I was playing baseball in the backyard with my son. He must have been five years old. Beautiful evening, playing catch. He's a great athlete. And I was thinking about 10,000 things at work. It just hit me like a ton of bricks that, wait a second, I'm not here. I'm back at the office. So that created a major paradigm shift. And I will say from that moment on, it didn't happen overnight, but from that moment on, things began to change. So when I was with my family, I began to be with my family. But a big part of that is listening. 
So that's where I give the advice to the family. I say, look, when you go home, I want you to give no advice for a month, nothing. And they also don't know what to do. And all of us do this, and it's a big behavioral switch. And um, a lot of them do it. I don't know how successful they actually are. Then, of course, my advice is not give advice, I'm sorry, not give an ask-for advice ever to anybody, especially your kids, especially your spouse. So it's it's been an interesting process, and it's been quite helpful. I mean, people get sort of excited about it. When the people actually pull it off and start doing it, find a dramatic difference in their relationships with their family. But it's also way more interesting listening and hearing your children as opposed to projecting your judgment on them all the time. Because, again, when you're being judgmental, you're simply projecting your view of the world onto that other person's situation, which becomes tedious after a while. When you become aware, it's infinitely interesting. There's no there's no limits, right? So right. that whole judgmental nature really closes your life in dramatically, whereas becoming aware of other people's needs, who they are, what their personalities are, what their interests are, first of all, it's fun, it's interesting, it's infinite, but it creates an atmosphere that's incredibly enjoyable. Now, when you uh, you mentioned that when you work with patients and you start discussing this for the first time, you, you ask them some basic questions to, to help uh, get that awareness uh, fired up or started, uh, and you ask them just to think about how many you know, how many times they yell at their kids or their spouse or, you know, those kinds of things. And um, is that somebody, is that something you think would be a, a good start to the process of awareness? Is just, even if you don't have a position to ask those questions, you can ask those questions for yourself. Well, it's a tricky situation. I mean, I usually like to know patients. I mean, one of my disadvantages now as a surgeon is that I don't have multiple visits with people. So I was doing this in Sun Valley, Idaho, for four years, and I went get into these topics for maybe three or four visits. I usually started start out with getting to know the patient. We could work on sleep, stabilize medications, <clears throat> start to learn about pain, and it was a nice start. And then stuff like this would come up, you know, maybe the third or fourth visit. Now I, I see people once or twice, and then I, I'm you know I'm a surgeon, so I do mostly consultation type work, and so I'll I don't necessarily like the, the format that I have to present this in because I do think that it takes a little bit of time to understand chronic pain, the neurological nature of it, the reactivity of it. And so <clears throat> I have to be careful when I make this recommendation. Does it, it does come out of the blue. <clears throat> I mean, I think most of us are used to giving advice. I mean, I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm, you're probably not much different than I am. We're all used to thinking our viewpoint is a correct viewpoint. And one book I highly recommend to everybody, I'd probably say, like, if you're going to read my book versus this book, read this book. It's called Parent Effectiveness Training by Dr. Thomas Gordon. It was published in the 70s, and I've probably read the book at least 20 times. It completely changed my parenting paradigm to listening. And it made a huge difference and a major factor in enjoying being a parent. Whereas before I read this book, I was into discipline. My kid wasn't going to be spoiled. But what it does, it changes the parent role into a human-to-human role, and it takes off the parent label completely. So it's not about permissive parenting, and I've asked my son this multiple times, is that he doesn't feel like he was officially disciplined ever, but it also feels like we were very strict parents. In other words, you talk about things, you set boundaries, you 
fail, you don't get in a whole punishment mode all the time. But a complete change of the parenting paradigm just having fun. And when you create an atmosphere of fun, then things change dramatically. I'll never forget the story of a physical therapist I saw probably 20 years ago. And I, I, lost, I asked her to write a little bit of a paragraph about her life and chronic pain. And I can't find the article. It was incredibly well written. But she described a life of just having a great time, trips to Colony Island. She had one sibling. Her father was a great guy. This had sort of the idyllic childhood, really just remarkably enjoyable. And then when she was 12 years old, her father lost his job. And within a week, the life completely changed, and he got angry. And she describes it as a dark cloud of fog rolling in the front door, and it stayed there, never lifted. And for the next six years of her life at home, it was just miserable, anger, frustration, unpleasantness. Just that one fact of her father losing her job changed her life, changed the whole family's life. So that anger energy coming into the household is just unacceptable. You can't do it. There's no shortcuts here. And then again, it's remarkable how often the kids become the target of the anger. And you got to remember back when your kid was a baby, why would you do this? And really, the metaphor, I'm pretty blunt about this. <clears throat> and again, you asked me if this is an easy conversation, and it's not. But living in chronic pain is not. The, consequence, the consequences on the family is very, very high. And the problem with chronic pain compared to other diseases is that there's no end point. I mean, when does this stop? So you're going to make some basic decisions how you process pain. You know from talking to me multiple times that chronic pain is curable, but you have to engage in the process. When you're angry, you don't engage in anything. You don't, you can't even listen. So it's a tough entry point as far as actually getting people to go from an anger to listening mode. It's a learned skill. There's multiple failures. But at some point, once people start crossing the tipping point, once the family dynamics start to change, we think that the family is probably the most powerful force keeping people in chronic pain. We're also found out by flipping the paradigm, it's also the most powerful force pulling people out of chronic pain. So people are excited, they're laughing. I've just had remarkable, endless success stories of people bringing the family dynamics into play. And even if the pain doesn't lift immediately, just the quality of life for everybody goes up quickly when people go from an angry judgmental mode to, to listening. I do have a little mantra that I'm going to mention multiple times in the next few podcasts. But you can't suppress anger. I mean, it's part of life. But when you're in reaction, you're not thinking very clearly. So the mantra I have in my head, and guess what? I get to practice this too. My patterns aren't so great. Is that I take no action in a reaction. So if you're reacting, you just got to stop, withdraw, get outside, let it pass, and just don't interact with anybody, especially your family, when you're angry. And all of us know you never accomplish anything in the middle of an argument. We all keep doing it, sort of hard to let go. And we found out that the only thing you can do is just break it up. So we're going to talk about the family a lot over the next several months. I'm actually retiring in December from surgical practice you know, to pursue the whole back-in-control project full-time. But I'm actually going to write an entire book <clears throat> around chronic pain in the family. It's going to be called basically the impact of chronic pain on the family and how it takes people down, the whole family, including yourself, the patient, but also how quickly you can flip it around and, and come out of the hole. 
and the parameters are not very hard. They're just not that hard. And so it's sort of arbitrary, creates a structure. Once we get that structure to start understanding the irrational nature of chronic pain, anxiety, and frustration, why quickly things turn on very, very, they, they, they turn on very quickly. So it's been a very exciting phase of the whole project. We're just seeing people come out of the hole as quickly as, we, as we've ever seen. And uh, it's been a remarkable phase to this whole thing. Well, Dr. Hanscom, these insights are really powerful. As you say, uh, you can, your family can be uh, your worst enemy in terms of triggering chronic pain or your, your best ally. And I, I think these insights are just uh, critical to the healing process uh, for chronic pain. So in and summary, I to, uh, well, in summary, I just want to say one thing. So just... We've talked about lots of concepts, <clears throat> and I think I say reasonably focused, considering I'm going to write a whole book on this. But the bottom line is take the next month, hopefully longer, and give no advice to anybody. Anybody. Just listen and watch what happens. It's really, really interesting. Well, I want to thank you for uh, being on our show today. Uh, we've been listening to uh, Dr. David Hanscom. And I want to uh, invite our listeners back for our next show, which will be called The Unenforceable Rules, uh, next Wednesday at 5 p.m. That's the Wednesday, the 17th of November at 5 p.m. Dr. Hanson, thank you for being on the show, and we will see everybody next week. Thanks, Tom. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.